0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Friday, April 5th. I'm Kate Trinko.
1: And I'm Daniel Davis. This week, Republicans are looking to force a vote on a bill to protect infants who survive abortion attempts. One woman who's pushing for that bill is Linda Balick. She gave birth to her child at just 26 weeks. Our colleague, Rachel Del Judas, sat down with her and her family to discuss her story and the life of her son. We'll bring you that interview. Plus, a popular ancestry company is giving its customers DNA to the government. We'll discuss.
0: And if you're a fan of the podcast, please consider leaving a review or a five star rating on iTunes and please subscribe. Now onto our top news. Well, President Trump is pulling back from
1: his threat to shut down the border over massive flows of migrants, but he's not letting the pressure off Mexico. He says if Mexico doesn't help stem the tide of migrants and drug trafficking across the border, they can expect auto tariffs. Here's what he said on Thursday.
2: If the drugs don't stop, Mexico can stop them if they want. We're going to tariff the cars. The cars are very big. And if that doesn't work, we're going to close the border.
1: Well, last week, the president had threatened to shut down the border, but that was met with protest over the potential economic fallout. Border officials are grappling with huge numbers of illegal immigrants crossing over and claiming asylum, many of whom are now being released into the country.
0: The New York Times reported Wednesday, citing unnamed sources, that, quote, some of Robert S. Mueller III's investigators have told associates that Attorney General William P. Barr failed to adequately portray the findings of their inquiry and that they were more troubling for President Trump than Barr indicated. Now, the Justice Department is pushing back, with spokeswoman Carrie Kupek saying in a statement, Given the extraordinary public interest in the matter, the attorney general decided to release the report's bottom-line findings and his conclusions immediately, without attempting to summarize the report, with the understanding that the report itself would be released after the redaction process.
1: Well, after two years of delay over President Trump's executive and judicial nominees— Senate Republicans have had enough. On Wednesday, they voted to eliminate aspects of the filibuster for executive and judicial nominees, taking the quote-unquote nuclear option. The change in rules means that debate time on district court nominees and sub-cabinet executive nominees will be cut from 30 hours to just two hours, allowing Republicans to fill vacancies that Democrats have held open for months. Among those are 130 district court vacancies. Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer lambasted the move, calling it a disgrace and a debasement of the Senate. But Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell didn't care much for Schumer's thoughts. Pointing at Schumer, he said, He started this whole thing. This is not a sad day. This is a glad day.
0: On Thursday, the House reauthorized the Violence Against Women Act, 263 158. Some Republicans have been critical of the bill, arguing it could hurt due process, among other concerns. Representative Debbie Lesko, Republican of Arizona, and herself a survivor of domestic violence, spoke out against it in a video for the Daily Signal. Here's part of what she had to say. I am voting no on the Democrats' version of the Violence Against Women Act because it is a radical bill that I believe will actually hurt women more. This bill, under the weight of federal law, would force domestic violence shelters to take in biological males who identify as women. She also said, The Democrat version of the Violence Against Women Act takes away Second Amendment rights from people without due process.
1: Well, as House Democrats get ready to dive into the Mueller probe, they're also using their new power to formally demand Trump's tax returns. Democrats formally requested on Wednesday that the IRS turn over six years of Trump's returns, paving the way for a new clash with the president that could land them in a lawsuit. President Trump has refused to release his returns ever since running for president, but the decision here will ultimately rest with the Treasury Department, which oversees the IRS. In his letter to the IRS, Ways and Means Chairman Richard Neal said his committee had a right and obligation to review Trump's business activity before and during his first term in office. But ranking member Kevin Brady said the Democrats were abusing the committee's statutory authority.
0: In a 247 to 176 vote, the House voted Thursday that the U.S. should stop assisting Saudi Arabia in its participation in a civil war in Yemen against Iran-backed forces. The Senate had previously passed the resolution, and it is now expected that President Trump will veto it.
1: Well, Yale Law School created a stir earlier this week when it announced it would no longer give stipends to students who work summers at law firms that disagree with the school's views on sexuality and gender identity. Senator Ted Cruz is now threatening legal action, saying that the Yale Law School is blacklisting Christian organizations. The Texas senator opened an investigation into the law school for potential discrimination against students with traditional Christian views. In a letter sent to Yale Law School President Dean Heather Gerken, he said that the school's new policy stems from a, quote, unconstitutional animus and a specific discriminatory intent both to blacklist Christian organizations and to punish Yale students whose values or religious faith lead them to work there, end quote. He also said his investigation could lead to a subpoena or a referral to the Justice Department.
0: Former Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams said in a speech this week that she did win the Georgia election. The Agrabian, here's what Abrams had to say. Uh, we had this little election back in 2018. And despite the final tally and the inauguration and the situation we find ourselves in, I do have one
3: very affirmative statement to make. We won.
0: And that wasn't all, Abrams had to say at the event she was speaking at, the convention hosted by Reverend Al Sharpton's National Action Network. And so in response to what I believe
3: was a stolen election, and I'm not saying they stole it from me, they stole it from the voters of Georgia.
0: According to Fox News, Abrams lost to Republican Brian Kemp by over 50,000 votes. Up next, Rachel sits down with a
1: family who had a child at 26 weeks.
0: Do you own an Alexa? You can now get the Daily Signal podcast every day as part of your daily flash briefing.
1: It's easy to do. Just open up your Alexa app, go to settings, and select flash briefing. From there, you can search for the Daily Signal podcast and add it to your flash briefing so you can stay up to date with the top news of the day that the liberal media isn't covering.
4: We're joined on the Daily Signal podcast today by Tom and Linda Bollock and their son, Jeff Bollock, who traveled to Washington, D.C. from South Carolina to ask lawmakers to sign a discharge petition to force a vote on legislation to protect babies born alive after an abortion. Thank you all so very much for joining us today. You're, oh, welcome.
2: you're welcome. Happy to be here.
4: So Tom and Linda, you have a very moving personal story about your son, Jeff, and why he has made you so passionate about this issue. Could you share that story with us?
2: Well, we're uh, our our family is uh, very pro life, and it's largely because of the experience we had with uh, son Jeff. Uh, Jeff was born in nineteen eighty. Uh, he was a twenty six week term baby. He was a twin, premature twin, and um, Jeff is living, walking, breathing, drumming proof that second trimester babies are are people. So we're not only opposed to opposed to abortion. We're very opposed to late-term abortion for that reason, and very, very, very opposed to infanticide, which is the direction things seem to be going um, in the uh, pro-abortion movement.
4: Jeff, what has it been like to advocate and to speak to lawmakers um, about this issue that you're so passionate about as well?
5: I'm I'm just glad that I'm that I'm living in and walking in like to. Love to talk to the lawmakers yesterday. It was, it was a good discussion.
4: Uh, well, thank you for talking to us. Mm-hmm. Tom, And we were talking yesterday, you said that not only was Jeff a viable baby and a human being, he's also an asset to the community and your family. And this is your walking defense against abortion. Can you tell us more about all that Jeff's, the, so many things he's accomplished?
2: Sure. Right. Yeah, Jeff is a community treasure. He has uh, received a lot of awards nationally and locally for his volunteer service. He has been working as a a tutor of at-risk elementary students for many years.
5: And I volunteer for the hospice patients, too, in in Charlotte. Love doing that. Read the Bible to them.
2: Jeff um, has done all kinds of volunteer work and uh, is a real advocate for for at-risk kids. Uh, He uses Twin Vision Braille books that have uh, Braille overlays along with uh, the, the text and images, you know, in the regular kids' books. And that's really interesting to them. And that as much as anything, they're fascinated meeting a blind guy who can read and function.
3: The great thing about talking to little kids is they will ask the craziest questions <laughs> that will just make you roll on the floor. And then Jeff will just answer them and it's just all good.
4: Oh, wow. That is beautiful. Well, you spent your time here in our nation's capital joining 50-plus Heritage Action Sentinels from across the country who came here to D.C. to encourage lawmakers to sign the discharge petition in support of the Born Alive Bill. What has this experience been like, and what kind of response have you been receiving from lawmakers?
2: Well, every trip to Heritage in Washington is an absolute blast. We get to see all of our friends. Uh, We've been active with the Heritage Sentinels program for many years and have made a number of trips to uh, to the Heritage Foundation and Heritage Action, so when we're here, we get to to see our friends and get some important work done. Uh, it was great to be on the hill yesterday. Uh, we didn't get to uh, meet any uh, congressman other than our own, our wonderful Ralph Norman from our district in South Carolina. Uh, but we talked with staffers and got some good uh, good responses about our our promotion of the um, uh, Born Alive Act and we're encouraging them to sign a discharge petition so that that bill can be moved from committee to um, to the floor for a vote the, my understanding is we only need like 18 more isn't that
3: right linda i think so they seem to be a lot more receptive on this issue than other issues we've gone up and discussed it's hard for them to say something like it's a partisan issue because it's not it's a life And I think that makes a little bit less pressure on them. However, I think it's going to take some encouragement and follow-up to make sure they stay on task.
2: We can share some of the interesting responses we got yesterday on the Hill if you're interested. Yeah, I'd
4: love to hear what you guys were talking about. Sure,
2: We were speaking to staffers in one of the congressman's offices, and they said they had been receiving phone calls all day. About the discharge petition, and they said we don't know if this is true or not. But they said about half of our callers are in favor of the Born Alive Act, and about half are opposed. And I asked the question of the legislative director: um, So why are why are half of them opposed to it? Do you ever ask the question why are you opposed? Just got a blank stare. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody would admit that they are in favor of leaving a living breathing baby on a shelf to die. Who's going to admit to that? I mean this this is such a slam dunk it's it's mind-boggling that uh, there's any opposition to this at all and I don't understand why every congressman hasn't signed that that discharge petition.
3: Well, and my whole question is when does life start then for these people? Is it does somebody have a three-year-old that they're tired of being a mother to a three-year-old? They can be a little trying at times. And say, gee, I just don't want a baby. Just put it in the dumpster. I mean, it's it's about that crude. It's just, just as crazy as what they're doing with this mm-hmm. born-alive baby.
2: We're from York County, South Carolina, and a recent item in the news there referred to a woman who had 22 horses and 15 dogs and cats that all died on her property. Because she was um, ill and in the hospital and hadn't arranged to get them fed, and she was being charged and likely will have, you know, jail time or, or you know significant sentence for for not feeding horses and dogs and cats. That's clearly illegal in everybody's mind, and I'll bet you all of the Democrats on the Hill would think that's horrific. And yet they can't uh, support providing medical care to a newborn baby who's alive in front of the doctor. Mm -hmm. Mind-boggling.
4: That that is, it is so mind-boggling. What would your message be, um, Tom and Linda, to parents who might have received news that there's complication with their pregnancy and are being encouraged to have an abortion, given your own personal experience, what would your message to them be?
3: You know, doctors are practicing. They aren't God and they don't really know what's going to happen. I believe that every child has a value. I have seen kids that are so unnormal, for lack of a better word, that they have blessed their family so much.
2: Our sons were born at, at uh, 26 weeks. Uh, Jeff was the tough one. He survived. And he uh, ha- you know, has had some residual problems and really not exactly as a result of his premature birth. But that was... Thirty-nine years ago, that was in 1980. Um, so, for people to second guess, you know, the viability uh, of a of an in utero baby is, I don't think, is appropriate at all. Like Linda said, that's a that's a human life. Uh, our Christian belief is that 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 is a soul since conception.
4: Mm. So besides the advocacy work you all do, your family also has its own band. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Jeff, tell us about the band. The
5: band is named Caution Blind Driver, and of course the drummer is the driver of the band, and we have a lot of um, funny photos on our website. I was, We were at my sister's, my sister's house, and all of us were in the car. My sister, her husband, my mom and dad, and me, and... Um, I had my cane outside the window, rolled down. Uh, my hands on the steering wheel, my knees on the seat of the truck, and everybody all terrified. Ah, caution, blind driver! You know, and and there was a sign there that said, "Sorry, officer, just going to our next gig."
2: Yeah, it's cane traveling with our truck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got to tell you, I've been a musician all my life, and I'm I'm really, really old. <laughs> and there is no drummer in the world i'd rather play with than this blind guy right here next to me he's an <laughs> incredible musician so in addition to being a good volunteer and a pretty good guy uh, i don't know what i'd do without him in our in our band my daughter plays bass with us to its a family band this weekend we're playing a a festival in the charlotte area uh it's a it's a, a big dog festival thousands of families come with their dogs and and we'll be playing for several hours there on the big stage and of course, we had to learn a whole bunch of dog songs, didn't we, Jeff? Yes, we did.
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Um, so you spent your time here in D.C. petitioning to support the Born Alive legislation, and I know you talked to some lawmakers, but you weren't able to obviously speak to you know, each one. If you had the opportunity um, to talk to each one of them, like what would be the one thing that you would want to say to them?
2: Uh, rather than say to them, I would ask them. How or why are you opposed to protecting a newborn baby, offering it the medical care that's, that you would make available to any other human being? What's the difference between a baby that's six minutes old, six days old, six years old, person's person, and entitled to medical care? And that, that would be my question
3: for every single one of them. What is it that you'd oppose Some of them tend to be getting lost in the weeds and and furthering their side by saying, well, who's going to pay for this and what are we going to do with the baby and things like that. There are plenty of people out there that I know personally have had to go to foreign countries to adopt children and would take a baby in a heartbeat in any condition. Um, I think the thing to remember, too, is a lot of our homegrown uh, adoption agencies, have been sued to oblivia that are faith-based and therefore are, are no longer being able to adopt out these babies. Uh, we have a lot of different organizations just wanting them to adopt them to just anybody. And they oftentimes believe that they're supposed to be a, a man and a woman and a family and they're supposed to stay at home, somebody is, to raise a child and and be parents
2: and when there's a human life at stake, you deal with what's in front of you. You don't take the time to question who's paying, who's responsible, what about custody, what about this and that detail. You save that human life because human life is is, is, uh, is precious.
3: As someone said yesterday, she goes by in, in D.C. here, homeless people all the time. And occasionally there's somebody that's OD'd, the, the services come and help them. And they don't go through his pockets to see how he's going to pay for it or if he's going to pay for it. They just take care of the person
2: You save that human life. yeah.
4: Well, Tom, Linda and Jeff, thank you so very much for being with us today.
2: Thank you guys for all you do. We are just tremendous uh, fans and advocates of the Heritage Foundation and Heritage Action. And as a as a conservative activist, uh, there's no place else I'd rather be than right here in Heritage Building.
4: Well, thank you all. Did you know
0: you can now listen to all of our events through SoundCloud or just by visiting our events page on heritage.org? You now have access to hundreds of events and compelling discussions on policy issues from your car, on the train, or the comfort of your own home. Visit heritage.org slash events for more information or search for the Heritage Foundation on
3: SoundCloud.
1: Hello, I'm Ed Smart, father of Elizabeth Smart. When a loved one is the victim of a violent crime, families want answers. There is more DNA available at crime scenes than any other evidence. If you are one of the millions of people who have taken a DNA test, your help can provide the missing link.
0: That's a new ad for Family Tree DNA, which sometimes works with law enforcement on using DNA people have submitted to find out about themselves to track down criminals. Just a few months ago, an infamous serial killer in California was tracked down by this method. Essentially, if law enforcement can find out what family the killer likely belongs to, they can then look at members of the family and see who could be a possible suspect. But... Do we want law enforcement to have our DNA? Joining us today is Daily Signal and Heritage video producer Michael Gooden, who has some thoughts.
6: I really wish I I, I had more concrete thoughts because I'm so split minded on this thing. Like everybody else, when the Golden State Killer was apprehended, it was just a it was a nationwide uh, media circus and everybody was talking about how. Uh, This this uh, one of the most notorious serial killers was captured after all these years. And the way they did it was ingenious. It was a way that could not have ever been possible outside of this era in technology. And it, it was I was fascinated like everybody else. And it was also very illuminating to see just exactly what goes into these um, send-away DNA test sites. Um, and the FBI getting involved on this uh, truly opened it up. So on one side of the coin, I really see uh, its potential in finding a lot of the more you know offenders in this world who are rapists, killers, murderers, um, and other people who have done some horrific, terrible things who have possibly— could be apprehended even if, you know, decades have passed. I find that amazing. Now, the flip side of that is whether or not everybody is okay with the government having unfettered access to you.
0: Right. And that's something that I also share your mixed feelings about because what really interested me about the case of the Golden State Killer is when he was doing his killings, they didn't even know about DNA. So he didn't know to avoid, uh, you know, leaving it around. And then, I mean, this was from the 70s, 60s. And um, yeah, and then, of course, he's now an old man and some relative of his must have used the DNA test. And then they looked at the family tree, I guess, and figured out, oh, this person lived in the right areas at the right times. And it seems likely. But at the same time, I wouldn't be so I wouldn't be too worried about the government right now having my DNA. But I feel like. You know, we're conservatives. One of the things we think about is bad people can go into government. And then if they have access to that stuff, you can't really take it back. And, I mean, it was interesting for me. I don't know if either of you have done the DNA testing. I haven't, but my sister decided to do it for Christmas. And she actually texted everyone in our family and was like, Mm -hmm. hey, everyone cool with their DNA being out there? Mm -hmm. And then no one objected. That's interesting
1: because I've never really thought about how if you're giving your DNA – then that's sort of almost like halfway your Mm -hmm. family giving it. Like you're doing it on their behalf because they'll be closely related to you. And it's funny, I've I've kind of wanted to do the the DNA test. I haven't done it um, because I'm just curious to see the breakdown of where, you know, like I have in my mind what I think my lineage is and I'd like to see that matched up with the science. Um, Although the
0: science is a little bit.
1: And my dad doesn't think, you know, he doubts the science. He's like, ah, he probably just put put statistics on there. Um, And he's also been concerned about them giving it to the government, like – I'm just so I'm kind of glad that at least this company tells you that they're giving it to the police mm-hmm. uh, or the FBI. Um, well, I believe it you makes have to opt into that option, which actually is also I think good. it
0: may be the other way around, but I'm not sure. Well, I think you, you may have, have to opt out. out. Oh, that
1: makes but at least know. All, so. <laughs> But at least it's all explicit, and you you know that it's happening. Whereas mm-hmm. it kind of leaves me wondering. Well, some of these other companies just doing it behind you know
6: behind the scenes. And the whole precedent of, well, why not do it? I mean, you have nothing to hide. That's okay. I I understand that. But um, as as a lot of these things have been proven, many of these databases and organizations can be compromised. They can be hacked. And now I'm not saying that, uh, you know, you could find uh, a mismatch in DNA and possibly somebody would be – uh, accused of a crime they didn't commit but the, you know the door is open for that kind of uh, activity I the closest I've done to this is um, again like you said it uh, goes around the family table at, at the holidays what does everybody want to do this or what it would be cool and we had talked about doing the my heritage one or, or the uh, DNA family tree or whatever it's called. Um, the closest I've ever come to it is sending away uh, my dog and seeing exactly <laughs> wait, what breed. Wait, wait you've <laughs> checked
0: your dog's DNA but not yours? I don't know what he's done. He might have a
6: checkered <laughs> past. I, You know, got to get that information out there. <laughs> so what is your dog? He is Australian uh, Border cool. Collie of oh. some sort it, we, uh, and uh, Mini Pincher, which was, uh, which was crazy to see. Um, i I find this stuff fascinating I really do and um not only would I like to see the exact uh breakdown of the lineage of my family tree or maybe i don't i um I, I think that this uh is a new era in in uh solving crimes and honestly it I'm very very interested to see if some of the more prolific uh serial killers and and you know criminals of this world have possibly been linked to things that we can get them to
1: but so I guess my question is, why does the private company have to be the middleman? Why doesn't the FBI just start a DNA campaign to get everyone to voluntarily hand over their DNA for the purpose of fighting crime? Because you got to sell it, and then you'll have. well, yeah, but then you'll have private sector kind of stuff on the side, which would be private. I just I don't, don't understand. know how I
0: feel about the because, ep- like, so right now no, the it's ep- voluntary. No, I I get what you're saying, but that gives me all kind of ick. Um, so it's better think, to have
1: a private sector middleman? Well,
0: so part of the issue here is the FBI wouldn't, I, I, I think they have to have, I guess it wouldn't be a warrant. Like, there has to be a credible reason, I think, or they're matching it up to DNA they already have. That's actually an interesting question, though. Like, I'm just assuming they don't have access to everyone's DNA, but maybe that's not really the case when it comes, like, everyone on the platform's DNA. but.
6: Maybe they effectively do. It's also my the conspiracy theorist in me, but um, you you have to make this something that people voluntarily want to be a part of. Um, you have to make it worthwhile to them. All right, sell them a backstory. Well, they're making a good case. Absolutely they are. But uh, there's a case that we made that, you know, uh, you've heard the theories that the whole face recognition on your phone is just another way to, you know, catalog people's face in databases and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And nobody, if you you say voluntarily, I would like everybody to send me a selfie so we can cap. Nobody's going to do that because inherently a lot of people don't trust the government. But if you say, well, you could access your phone in your car by just looking at it, then a bunch of people will do it because it's a cool nifty trick
0: so actually i am not cool with stuff like that because i feel like one that means you're vulnerable to having your eye hacked out or something if it's like eye recognition or some of that other technology like i hate that stuff i would rather use a password or if it's thumb technology someone's gonna hack off your thumb i mean probably not likely but i just yeah i don't like the way tech the way security technology is trending to be honest like it's like, think
1: it, we'd it's like jason Bourne, room, you know though. using the and they use the fake fingerprints to get into get into rooms
0: well, cool. nice flashback. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's my that's my pop culture savvy right there. Cool. Ten-year-old films. All right, we're going to leave it there. Michael, thank you for coming in thank and you. sharing. And we're going to leave it there for today. Thanks so much for listening to the Daily Signal podcast brought to you from the Robert H. Bruce Radio Studio at the Heritage Foundation.
0: Please be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. And please leave us a review or a five-star rating on iTunes.
1: Robin and Rachel will be with you on Monday.